Well, you might turn over to Ecclesiastes. It's an interesting book. If you open the Bible about the middle of your hit, usually Psalms and Proverbs, and a few pages of Ecclesiastes. I read the book the first time in 1970, uh, in the fall, whenever I was a grad student at the University of Southern California. I thought, this has to be the most depressing thing I've read my whole life. <laughs> it's really a good book. It talks about the futility of trying to put life together without God. I'm going to look at just a few verses in it. The topic we're taking a look at tonight is a perspective on problems. In Ecclesiastes 8, uh, 12 through 14, are several verses. We'll come back to them in a few minutes. We could use any one of several verses in the Scripture to deal with this issue. But I'd like particularly to take a look at these because maybe you haven't read these recently. Would you stand with me? You look too mellow sitting down. Read deeply. Follow along while I read. An interesting passage. Although a wicked man commits a hundred crimes and still lives a long time, I know that it will go better with God-fearing men who are reverent before God. Yet, because the wicked do not fear God, it will not go well with them, and their days will not lengthen like the shadow. There's something else meaningless that occurs on earth. Righteous men who get what the wicked deserve, and wicked men who get what the righteous deserve. This too, I say, is meaningless. Interesting passage. Join me in prayer. Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts right now, as you've already spoken through the songs and we have spoken to you. We pray that now that you would speak to us. We ask you to turn on the lights in the deep recesses of our hearts, that we may know you more fully and we may understand what you're doing in our lives. In the name of Jesus, amen. You may be seated. The Apostle Paul makes a very interesting statement in Acts 14.23. Uh, he has gone through and planted a bunch of churches in the Greco-Roman world. He's going back through a region, visiting those churches on his way back to his home base. And it says as he goes through the area that he appoints elders and he reminds all the churches that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And I read that and whenever I first read it I thought that is a very interesting perspective. I, I would really prefer that he had said through many celebrations we must enter the kingdom of God. Problems are a part of life. We're going to be taking a look at uh, a perspective on dealing with them. And I'm going to travel through uh, this outline pretty quickly. There are several things to cover. I'd like to take a look sort of at the big, a bigger perspective on problems. Uh, you've had some problems this last week, haven't you? Anybody have any problems this last week? Uh, most people do. Uh, some people have had them and didn't know it. Uh, some people have had them a long time and don't know it. The problems problems are something we deal with over and over again. We prefer good times, fun times, uh, times whenever we really feel up. But over and over again, situations and circumstances come our way that create problems for us. Trouble arrives on our doorstep and we have to deal with it. Uh, in the scriptures, uh, problems, problems have quite a role in our life. I'd like to take a look at several things. Number one, problems are a part of life now. You can follow along on the listening guide if you'd like. Problems are a part of life now. Job 5.7, an interesting statement in the book of Job. It says that man is born to trouble as sparks fly upward. Whenever, you, whenever you're building a fire, you have a wood fire going in the fireplace. It begins to die down a little bit, and you grab a, a log or a, a poker, and you jab the fire, the sparks fly upward. You know, the fire stirs around and little thingies break off and float upwards in the, in the heat. 
it's normal for sparks to fly upward. And so Job says, just like it's normal for sparks to fly upward, so you and I are born to trouble. We have troubles in this world. That's, uh, according to the scripture, problems are a part of life now. Since the rebellion against God, since our great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents first rebelled against God, and since we ourselves have, every one of us, confirmed that rebellion by our own actions, since the original rebellion and our own confirmation of it, none of us have a right to a trouble-free life now. Now, sometimes we feel whenever problems crop up that, uh, that we have our rights and what are problems doing in the middle of our lives? Well, we've compromised the universe and ourselves. And we don't have a right to a trouble-free life now. Problems are now a part of life. Uh, this is a very different perspective from TV. You know, on TV, whenever you watch one of the series shows, one of the serials, uh, somebody's leading their normal life, their normal everyday problem-free life, and all of a sudden a problem comes up, and then in comes you know, the A-team. Uh, now, you know, Jake and the fat man. In they come, and they deal with this problem, and the problems are done, and everybody goes back to their normal trouble-free life. And that's, that's the way through the years that you and I have been educated about problems. Problems occur only in the exception, and they're solved always within 30 minutes to an hour. <laughs> or at the longest, you know, four, four two-hour slots of a miniseries. And that's it. And then problems are done with, and they're over with, and everyone lives happily ever after. Now, we know in our heads that that's not true, but, you know, many times in our hearts we don't accept that. Problems are a part of life. If you're going to live, you're going to have problems. And all your problems are not going to be immediately solved by the A-team or Jake and the Fat Man. Uh, there, there are some things that you're going to have to deal with recurringly through the years. There will be some things that come up later that uh, Jake and the Fat Man will never be able to deal with. Uh, they're a part of life. One of the great learning tasks in life is to learn to deal effectively with problems, deal successfully with problems, deal rightly with problems. This is one of the great tasks that you're going to have to learn to handle. You're at a point in your life where you're, you're earlier on, you're not kids. You're on your way, most of you, uh, into uh, your careers before too long. And you already had a lot of problems, and you're going to have more problems in the future. Now again, there are going to be many blessed days, there are going to be wonderful things God will do, but problems are going to come your way. And whenever you, if you think professors are tough, you know, meet bosses. <laughs> problems are going to come your way. And uh, you're going to have to deal with problems. It's very, very important you learn to deal with them effectively because there are going to be so many of them through the years. You know, problem solving and uh, handling problems is a major part of marriage. How you handle problems dramatically affects your marriage. You would do very well, guys and girls, you'd do very well to pick a mate who knows how to handle problems. Matter of fact, once you get married, you would do well to handle problems well yourself and do your mate a favor. Whenever you don't know how to handle problems and the two of you get together, all of a sudden you've got real problems. Because problems will not stop. Life is going to keep on coming. You must learn how to handle problems. They are a part of life now. Now it may be, there may be you know, problems, they could, they could be sicknesses, there could be problems in relationships. Whenever you get married, problems with in-laws, 
a problem's on the job, the things tear up, and it just keeps on coming. Learn to handle problems. They're part of life now. We tend to develop strategies for handling them, and uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, understand that this is a part of life. If you're, if you're raising kids, if you're a parent, problem solving is a major part of parenting. You need to learn not only to, to solve the problems that your kids create and that you create while you have kids, but you need to learn to help your kids learn how to solve problems as they grow up. They look at how you do it, and they imitate you and the way they handle life. So problems are a part of life now. You need to grasp this over and over again. Uh, whenever problems do crop up, we feel like that somehow God or the devil or somebody has invaded our perfectly normal life and now ruined it. But a perfectly normal life has problems in it. Uh, so learn to deal with them. Don't, don't be blown away when problems arise. They're a part of life. You get up tomorrow morning and your car won't start. Um, or you go to the first period class and discover that there was a major exam that you have forgotten about. You know, don't go jump out the window. This is normal. This is a problem. People have problems. Learn how to deal with problems. If you will, you'll do yourself a tremendous favor. Uh, second thing. Well, let me let me back up. Problems are a part of life. Uh, I'm at the point in life now where uh, I'm a dad. I have three kids. And, um, you know, as you have children, there are their problems. As you get on into midlife like I have, our problems increased. In December, uh, my family and I drove, made eight 1,000-mile trips uh, with the kids in the car. <laughs> it was very hard. My, my mother was dying. We drove back and forth between Fort Worth and East Tennessee. And... Um, in the middle of it, I got sick, and I spent two weeks in bed. I'd never been that sick and not been in the hospital. I got the flu, and my mother died on January the 3rd. We went through the grief of the funeral and all, got back home, and we were pretty well stressed out. A couple of weeks later, I went away to do a retreat for a church in Nashville, a pretty important retreat in terms of some of the things we've been working on. I called back home on Saturday night and um, to say goodnight to the kids, and a friend answered the phone instead of my wife, a lady. And she said, Deborah just went to the hospital. It looks like she's having a heart attack. And so I flew back the next day, and I didn't know if I'd have a wife on Monday or not. As it turned out, uh, there were several things that pointed toward a heart attack. That was not what was occurring. But from all the signs that pointed toward it, everybody was dead certain that's what was going on. So my wife did not have a heart attack. But... What I'm saying to you is, problems are just a part of it. Uh, you get married, instead of just having, both of you having two problems, now you've got four. You know, it multiplies. You have kids, that's eight. <laughs> have two kids, that's 16. You, you have to learn how to handle things that come your way. I don't like them. I prefer the world where there are no problems, and one day that world will be here. But in the meantime, problems are a part of life. Second thing, tomorrow, the future, is uncertain. Now you know that, don't you? No one can predict tomorrow. Tomorrow is uncertain. Scripture says in Ecclesiastes, time and chance come to all men. Uh, there's a sense in which, you know, things just happen to us. They're not out of, out of control of the living God, but there's, there are things that come that we just don't anticipate. 
and we have to deal with them. Proverbs 16.9 says that uh, the mind of a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. You and I lay plans. We get, all, get everything all lined down and set out on our course, and all of a sudden, <laughs> things fall off. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. That was a good illustration. It looks like the thing needs to go the other way. Hold your ears. Wasn't that great? I think this is it. See, you just never know what will happen. One of the things that used to bother me, uh, not terminally, but nearly terminally, was life just wouldn't go like I'd planned it. I'd plan on, you know, a date on a given weekend or a picnic, or I'd lay some plans about my studies, some things I wanted to do, and time would come up, and things just wouldn't go like I wanted to. And, uh, I mean, for me, that was occasion for a two- or three-day depression. It just bothered me terribly. But, you know, that's a part of life. You don't know what tomorrow holds. You do not know what tomorrow holds. You can know who holds tomorrow, but you do not know what tomorrow holds. Very important for you to do what is right right now, uh, because you don't have tomorrow promised to you. Uh, most of you are intending to get a college degree. In the normal course of things, you probably will. But you know, that's not a promise. Uh, we, we lay our plans, and we line out what we're going to do, and then things turn, and they don't go that direction, and we've got problems. Well, that's normal. The future really is uncertain. James says in James 4, 13 through 17, he talks to a group of businessmen. He says, now, you characters are saying that you're going to, we're going to go to the city and live there a year and get gain. We're going to prosper. He said, whereas... You don't know what your life is. You're just a mere breath. You know, breath on a cold day. It's there and then it's gone. Rather than saying, well, this is what we're going to do. We've nailed down our plans. You ought to say the Lord willing. There's a certain amount of uncertainty in the future. And uh, the Lord uses that to keep us trusting him. It's important to do right right now. But whenever you lay your plans and things don't work out like you intended, you're normal. Most of us experience that, and you need not be blown away. If you learn how to plan better the next time, do. But you don't have the you don't have the future promised to you. Now, many times, the way we approach life is sort of like this: God does something, and it's pretty positive. You know, we've been praying about a certain direction, or praying about things we want to do, and it's sort of like God puts a point on the graph right here. We say, "Aha, He's answering prayer." And then he does something else, and there's another point on the graph going right here. And then he does something else along the lines that we've been praying, and there's another one. And what we do is we draw a straight line on through and say, this is what God's going to do. And we begin to put our faith in the plan we see rather than the God who makes plans. And the next time God draws the dot down here, lo and behold, things have changed. God, what are you doing? What he's been doing all along, teaching you to trust him. Walk with him. So, 
The future is uncertain. Now, that's a source of frustration and problems, but it is a reality. There is a God who controls the future. If you know him and you walk with him, you can trust him with that future. But don't get your heart set on one. You know, you're dating your sweetie pie, and you just know you're going to get married. Well, the day you say, I do, you're married. Until that day, you're not married yet. That future is not yet yours. So you live with an open hand before the living God. Whenever you have children, you'll know this much more deeply. Because the little ones get sick. And you know, you just don't know what will happen. The future is not promised to you. No. The Lord has promised eternity to you if you have yielded your life to the Lord Jesus and walked with him. There is a future that is yours with him, but the details of this life, they change. It's good to make plans, and uh, it's good to set directions. It's good to seek God in your planning. But you also have to seek the Lord as you act and plans are carried out. So, don't set your heart on what tomorrow is going to be. Say, the Lord willing, as you walk on into tomorrow. Uh, here's another one, number three. Some perspectives on trouble and problems. Number three, it really is okay to call trouble bad. It really is okay to call it bad. Whenever bad things happen to you, it's just bad. Uh, you don't have to con God. You know, if something happens that's very disappointing or that hurts very deeply or uh, something is physically painful, you don't have to go along saying, Oh, it's, it's, it's okay. It's okay. I'm rejoicing God. You don't have to con God. You can be honest with God. God, this is bad. I don't like it. It hurts. I hurt. I ache over these things. You can be honest with the Lord. This is very different from uh, Hindu thought or Christian science, uh, American Hinduism, or New Age thought. You know, in, in that sort of realm of thinking, all that exists is spirit and is good. Evil and suffering don't really exist. They're just negative states of mind that need to be changed. All that really is is good. But that's not right. There, there really is bad. And problems are bad. There's a fellow in the New Age mode on an evening talk show, uh, late evening talk show, and he he made the statement that uh, someone, they, he and some Christians and some others were having this dialogue on a secular talk show, and uh, he made a statement that that murder and all these bad things didn't exist in his reality. You know, murder and all this other stuff didn't exist in his reality. The talk show host said. Wouldn't it be very interesting if Jeffrey Dahmer showed up on your doorstep? And, you know, he's a fellow who murdered people and made them. He's a cannibal. Wouldn't it be very interesting if he showed up on your doorstep and he didn't exist in your reality, but you existed in his? <laughs> I thought, yeah, that really is interesting, isn't it? You don't have to play mind games. If it hurts, it hurts. If it's bad, it's bad. You can read the Psalms and you can find the people of God crying out to God, Oh, God, this hurts. God, this is bad. Lord, I'm just about done for. Um, if you're sick, tell the Lord you're sick and ask Him for healing. If, you, if you're hurt, you're broken hearted, tell Him you're broken hearted. And ask Him to work in your heart. You can be honest with the living God. You don't have to, you don't have to live in denial. You don't have to call it good and then live in this sort of denial world. Uh, God desires your honesty with him. 
Now, like Paul, you know, I've, I've got on your handout, I think, 2 Corinthians 1, didn't it? Yeah. If you read 2 Corinthians 1, but really the whole book of 2 Corinthians, and you find Paul talking about his troubles. And he goes on to say that things got really bad in 2 Corinthians 1. As a matter of fact, we got, in the Phillips translation, we got to the end of our road. And that's that's pretty bad. He says, we, feel, we felt like the sentence of death had been passed on us. But see, like Paul, you have to go on and say, but that was to make us trust in the one who raises the dead. God, it is bad, but I know you are God, and I know that this will not be the last word for me. I trust you with it. You will bring good out of it in your time. Right now, it's bad, and I hurt. Comfort me. I don't like these circumstances. I don't like this situation. I ask you to change it. But I trust you with it. We don't simply start with, stop with, it's bad. We go on to say, it's bad. I'm hurting, Father. Help me. I trust you. But you really can call it bad. It really is okay in the scriptures. You can be honest with God about, about hurts. Number four. Perspective on problems. Scores are not all settled in this life. All scores are not settled in this life. Now they, they will be settled in the next life. They will all be settled. But they're not all settled in this life. So Ecclesiastes 8.14 that we read a few minutes ago, the, the writer says here, he says, there's something else meaningless that occurs on earth. Righteous men who get what the wicked deserve. And wicked men who get what the righteous deserve. This I say too is meaningless. He's talking about what's meaningless in the world. Not all scores are settled in this life. Uh, there, are, there are people who do really good, do good deeds, and love others, and sometimes terrible things happen to them. There are other people who do wrong, and <laughs> some people go to prayer, especially for them. Oh, Lord, please wipe this person out. <laughs> and God still withholds his hand. Now, scores are substantially settled in this life. The settlement is substantial. You know, so the guy says a little bit earlier up here, he says, although a wicked man commits a hundred crimes, and still lives a long time, I know that it will go better with God-fearing men who are reverent before God. Scores are substantially settled. The disciples at one point tell the Lord Jesus, Lord, we've left houses and lands and families for you. And he says, I say to you that you will not, there's not one who's left houses or land or families who will not receive back in this life much more and in the next life, eternal life. There, there's substantial return to us you know, for, both in punishment for people who press on and refuse to acknowledge the Lord and in reward for people who do right. Whenever God does bring punishment, though, often it occurs too late. Whenever people really do wicked things and are out to destroy and rend and tear, often it comes too late because God's a merciful God. God keeps putting up with people. It's not because he can't think of what to do to them. It's not because he's lackadaisical and doesn't care about justice. It's because he's merciful. And uh, one of the things I've seen is people who have, who have treated others awful and who later have come to know the living God and lived, have lived, lived in grief over what they've done and tried to turn their lives to be a benefit to people. I've watched other people treat people awful 
and live a long time and still treat people off. I know a fellow, uh, who, whenever he was 96, uh, he had some lakefront property, or he had some property right behind lakefront property. This fellow was a schemer, and uh, he, told, he told my dad, he said, you know, the people on the lakefront, so they want, they want rights to bring water across my land so they can build a house and have a house on that lakefront. He said, but I'm not going to give it to them. He said, I'm going to get that lakefront property. So it may be a while, but I'm going to get it. I thought, you're 96 years old. <laughs> but he went out plotting. I have a good friend who died in his 60s uh, with AIDS. He's a good man, did a tremendous work for the Lord. But in his 60s, he had heart surgery and he got bad blood. As it's not all settled in this life, folks. You need, to, you need to get a hold of this. Your perspective has to be eternal. You cannot live this life simply looking at this life. You have to look on beyond to the next life. And there all scores will be totally settled. It will be even. Reward and punishment, it will be even. But you know, this is the way it was with Jesus, isn't it? I mean, who... Who's, who's ever been a better person than the Lord Jesus? Whoever deserved better than him. And what did he get? Dead at 33, a criminal's death. You know what else he got? A name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, whether uh, things in heaven or on the earth or under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what he got. But it's not all settled in this life. Same with the Apostle Paul. Paul went around the, and the rest of the Apostles, Paul went around the region Roman world, planting churches, trying to bring people good news, trying to see people delivered from bondage. And he ended up being executed like a criminal. But, you know, the story's not finished yet. Now there's a reward for him. You have to decide... So you're not going to live this life simply for what you can get out of this life. Because Jesus says that if you intend to save your life, you're going to lose it. If you're, if you're willing to go ahead and live right and do what he says, he says to lose your life for his sake, then you'll really find it. You'll find it in this life and in the life to come. But the score's not all settled in this life. Uh, sometimes uh, people get weary. They get tired. They look around and they see bad things happening to good people and they say, I... I just don't want to go on anymore. It's just not worth it. Sometimes people stand back, and uh, sometimes people have not yet committed their life to Christ look at Christians, and they say, well, if you become a Christian, you don't get to do all the things I'm doing right now. And besides that, you, you have problems. Uh, maybe I don't want to jump into this thing yet. Or sometimes I have heard people say, people who have committed their lives to Jesus Christ, but who have grown on to a certain point, and they need to go ahead and, and make some decisions about how they're going to live the rest of their life. And I've heard them say things like this. You know, I look at some spiritual leaders around me, and I see some pretty hard things happening to them. And I, I don't know if I want to pay that kind of price. I think I'll just sort of quietly on the inside be mediocre. I just don't know that I want to pay the price to go ahead and really do all that God wants me to. Well, friend, if you think the pay is bad on the committed side of it, you ought to really see what the pay is on the other side of it. Because whenever you decide to not go ahead and walk with the Lord, 
you don't you don't escape problems. You just hit the problems without resources. So, don't be conned on this. It, the scores aren't all settled in this life. You're going to have to choose to look beyond this life to add up the pluses and minuses. If you will, then you can go ahead and, and endure through problems. You can last. and uh, God will use problems positively for you. Here's another one, number five. When calamity strikes, you need to act so as to minimize losses. You need to minimize losses. Proverbs 27, 12 says, prudent man sees trouble coming and hides himself. The foolish go on and suffer for it. Whenever trouble does come up, you're going to respond to it in some way. You need to you need to respond in a way that will minimize your losses. The, how you respond to problems, whether it's a broken relationship or um, maybe a financial problem that you that suddenly erupted, or a relationship problem you've got, a boyfriend or girlfriend or someone else, how you respond dramatically impacts how much you lose. You know, a lot of people, whenever problems suddenly come up. Uh, they go get drunk, get high. Now, if you do, all you lose is time. You, you got your original problem still. They don't go away because you're buzzed out. Or they're still there waiting on you. Come back. But now you've also got the problems of lost time and money, lost respect. Uh, some people, whenever problems arrive, blow up. And they lose friends. And they damage the very relationships that could help them Maybe have minimized their losses. Uh, some people run away. Uh, the loss goes on and probably multiplies. Uh, some people sulk. You know, problem comes up and they sulk. Mm. They're going to get mad at God, make God sorry he ever did this. <laughs> Just sulk at God. But, you know, I have never sulked God into coming across and doing what I wanted him to. You know what I do whenever one of my little ones goes into a sock? I spank him. <laughs> and you know what's happened to me whenever I've gone into a sock against God? Well, first he's been he's been patient, and uh, and then I get spanked. If you go into a terminal sock against the living God, you're tempting him to to allow worse to occur. You need to act so as to minimize your losses. You need to sit down, evaluate what's going on, and take action to minimize your losses. Now, in the, in the thinking of the world, um, how you respond doesn't really matter. Problems erupt, you just blow up, run away, do whatever you want to. Just go and do whatever you want to, as long as you really feel it, you know. But in real, real life, the way you respond to problems affects what results. So whenever problems come up, uh, take prudent action, minimize your losses. The last one here. Obedience helps minimize problems, but it will not eliminate them. Obedience helps minimize problems, but it will not eliminate them. Uh, it'll help you minimize trouble. Proverbs 11.3 says, the integrity of the upright protects them. Several other verses say that. If you walk in integrity, you do what is right, there's all kinds of trouble you don't step into. I, walk, I was walking out of the Jack in the Box, and the guy tried to get me to, over to his car, and he was so insistent, I finally walked over, and he showed me a watch. And I uh, held it up on his hand like this. He said, it's an inside job. My girlfriend gets 100 of them in Houston, mails me one, and I sell them here in Fort Worth. She works for Zales. We just cut out 1%, and I sell them here in town. He said, it's a Seco. 
That was really good. Good watch at the time. So look at the diamonds around the face. And sure enough, it was said Seiko and had diamonds all around the face. He saw sell it to you for forty nine fifty. Uh huh, that's a strange price. Forty nine fifty. You know, fifty dollars, forty nine dollars, forty nine fifty. I said, Well, I can't buy. He said, Why not? I said, I belong to the Lord Jesus. If I buy stolen property, I'll get a whipping. <laughs> he drove off saying, Yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't drove off. I went back to the car and told my wife about it. I went home and called a fellow who was a sales manager, a friend. And I said, uh, he said, this is happening. He said, oh, you don't have to worry about them, sales jewelers. So you don't have to worry about that. He said, if you look really close at the face, it said Seikio, S-E-I-K-I-O, not Seiko. He said, and that's, pl that's paste around the face of it. So those are not real stones. So they buy them downtown for nine fifty, and sell them around town as stolen property. I said, of course, nobody who buys it is going to call the police and say, look, I bought fake stolen property. <laughs> Proverbs 11.3 came to mind, see. Because of walking integrity, I saved myself 40 bucks. There are problems I didn't step into. Integrity, you, the integrity of the upright will protect you. There are problems you don't get into if you will obey. But if you obey, there will still be problems that come your way. And you need to get hold of this. Uh, obedience won't eliminate problems. That didn't happen for Jesus. See, he obeyed perfectly, but as he went on in his obedience, the the core leadership of the people of God at the time became more and more determined to persecute and eliminate him. There are still problems that will come your way. Uh, but obedience will minimize your problem. Disobedience will only cause more problems. Uh, if you... If you have a problem here, you know, your girlfriend just broke up with you, or you just tripped and sprained your ankle and now you're, you're down, or you your knee went out on you, or you're not going to have the money to finish paying for the semester, or whatever it was, that is a problem. If you get mad and smashed, boom, your favorite vase, now you got two problems. Three problems, really. Financial problem, no vase, and a sore hand. You see, how you respond really makes a difference. And uh, obedience will help you minimize problems. That diagram on the bottom of the page, see P1, P2, R1, R2, R3. Here's the way it goes. P1 is problem number one. Problem one occurs. If you act in obedience, you deal with problem one. But if your response, R1 to problem one, if your response is wrong, you generate problem two. And then if you don't respond rightly to that, you generate, uh, that's response two, you generate problem three. And then you don't respond rightly to that, you generate, that's response three, you generate problem four. And the arrow is swinging on down for another pass around Mount Sinai. <laughs> See, we start off with a problem, and we don't, we don't do what's right. Instead, we, we rebel, we lie, we cheat, we blow up, we run away, whatever we do. And then we got two problems. That creates another situation we've got to respond to. We don't obey there. That creates another problem. And then another problem. And finally this whole thing just snowballs and snowballs until it's one big mess. And little thingy strings are hanging out all over the place and we don't know where the end of the thing is. <laughs> we've long ago forgotten the original problem. If you just go ahead and handle problem one with obedience, you'll minimize problems. You're not going to eliminate them from your life. So you can minimize problems. Now, if things have all balled up on you, go ahead and take the loose end that's sticking closest to you and begin to pull on it and undo it. You can work backwards over a time period. O obedience will minimize problems. It will not eliminate them, but it will minimize them. So let me summarize for you. 
a perspective on problems. Problems are a part of life. Uh, the Lord God is big enough to handle them with you, but they are a part of life. You need to learn to deal with them. If you will, you'll do yourself a tremendous favor. And as you marry later and have children later, God grants that you'll do a tremendous favor to you, both your mate and your, your future little ones. They are a part of life. The Lord uses them to mature us. James goes on to talk, James 1, 2 through, uh, 2 through 4, about how it's out of problems we learn perseverance, and it's out of perseverance that full Christian maturity grows. I'd just soon have it another way. But the Lord uses these things in our life. We need to learn to trust Him with them. Uh, but they are a part of life. Obedience, though, obedience will help you minimize problems. It will not eliminate them. So, Acts 14.23 really is true. Through many tribulations we will enter the kingdom of God. There will be a lot of joys. There will be a lot of good times. May the Lord multiply them. But if you're alive in this world, you will meet problems. And you know, under the hand of the living God, they can be dealt with over time. As a matter of fact, Romans 8.28 says that he will not only deal with problems, but he will actually use them for your good in the long run. Now, if it's bad, it's bad. You can tell him it's bad. But over the long run, he has the power to even work good out of the bad. Would you pray with me? It may be that you've been dealing with some big problems this week, and uh, you need to make a decision tonight to go ahead and actually deal with the problems and not run away from them. It may involve owning up to them or confessing them, admitting them. It may be that you just need to turn them over to God and say, I'll do whatever I need to. There may be situations you're getting ready to face that you need to turn over to the living God to use as he sees fit in your life. Would you do that right now? Father, we thank you for victories in this life, over and over again victories. Thank you for celebrations. Thank you for joy that you give, even in the middle of problems. And Lord, we say to you, we don't like problems. Now, James tells us to greet them with joy. Father, we're learning. Right now, we say to you that we trust you, though. And in the middle of a broken world, we, a broken people, are being put back together by you. And we understand problems are one of your tools. We trust you with them. We pray that you'd make us people of courage and perseverance. And Lord Jesus, we look to you. You are the, the author, the pioneer, and the perfecter of our faith. And we look to you. And we rejoice with you that the name that you have is above every name. And we look forward to the day whenever your word says you'll give us a new name. And to a day whenever tears will be dried up and they will be no more. Whenever you wrap up history and everything is going to be like it ought to be. In the meantime, Lord, we trust you in this life. And we say to you, living God, lead us. In the name of Jesus. Amen.